Drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Tuesday, February 28th, the last day of February. Can you believe it? February always comes by really fast. It's the Feast of Saints Romanus and Lupicianus, who lived in the 5th century and founded several monasteries in eastern France. They lived as hermits, but the devil tried to disrupt their prayers by sending a shower of sharp stones. The brothers abandoned their place of retreat, but a wise widow advised them to return and fight courageously against the devil. Later, the two brothers found numerous monasteries and governed them jointly, but they had different temperaments. Lupicianus was very severe and did not forgive the least misstep, while Romanus was incredibly merciful. And what can we learn? Well, during the season of Lent, let's not flee from our temptations and the whips and scorns of the devil, but instead let's do battle. Let's go in, we'll fight, fight it out with the devil. And when we come out, let us be merciful to others, but let's not forgive, not a least misstep with ourselves. I think that's a great thing to do today. Uh, Good morning to you. So how was your Monday? Were you able to succeed in not complaining about Monday, about saying, uh, darn Monday? Or did you say, praise be to God, it's Monday. What a great day to be alive. And you know, the end of the week, the end of the month, it's so surprising. I I always forget how short February is. Every other month, why, why on earth do we do that? It's very annoying. I wish we could just have a longer week. Uh, but good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. I'm doing great. The uh, drive-in was nice and empty. I'm getting used to these early hours, finally. And it's day seven of our Lenten fast. So woke up not hungry, which is what not I was expecting. You haven't eaten seven days? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm uh, having one meal a day. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Yes, yes. And much easier than people would, would think it is. People think uh, eating one meal a day is like the hardest thing ever, but I promise you, it's much easier than it sounds. When you mean one, you mean like a, I don't know, 4,000 calorie meal spread um, over the whole day? or Don't think spread over the whole day would count mm. as one meal. I mean, you're eating one meal throughout the day. Right. You just never so, stop eating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you mean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> totally. 100%. That's totally not gluttony. That's what I always um, do. I, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, <laughs> we, let's uh, avoid the, the Rudy fast uh, today and the 4,000 calorie eating throughout the day meal. Um, that would be uh, not the ideal, let's just say. We'll say that. At 15 past the hour, we're going to discuss the New York Times admitting that masks don't work. Well, finally, someone came out and said it. At 30 past the hour, Amy Wellborn will be on to talk about how the LGBT community is putting out children's books to convert your children. That's very concerning. And the next hour, we're going to be playing our game show, Fear and Trembling. And also, you know, I just had to, I just remembered. Today is my aunt's birthday, so happy birthday to my Aunt Sandy. Happy birthday to you. Uh, And also, uh, in your charity, please pray for my great-grandmother who passed away over the weekend. And all those who had loved ones who have passed away recently, 
for their families and for all those things, I'd be very appreciative. And I'm very touched by how many people reached out and told me that they're praying for me and for my grandmother. So I, I very much appreciate that. Let's see. And one other thing for today is the the in the next hour, we are going to have one during our game show, our prize this week. You're gonna you're not going to want to miss out on what it is. You're going to want to hear it. So make sure you're tuned in for the seven o'clock hour central time, eight o'clock Eastern time, because the game show, it's going to be lit. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. All right, let's jump into our show. That's, we're going to be offering up prayers for your intentions, whatever those intentions are. We're going to be praying for them for our friends, our families, and our benefactors. And we continue to pray for Ohio with the situation over there. I feel like every time I look at Ohio, there's something else going on. So we're going to be continuing in our prayers for Ohio. And let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Today is Tuesday, February 28, 2023, and these are your headlines for today. Alana Durkin-Ricker at Crux reports the lawyers for former Theodore Cardinal McCarrick filed a motion Monday to dismiss a case charging him with sexually assaulting a boy decades ago, saying the 92-year-old, once-powerful American prelate has dementia and is not competent to stand trial. McCarrick pleaded not guilty in September of 21 2021 in the, Ma- in the Massachusetts case that alleges the priest sexually abused a boy at a wedding reception at Wellesley College in 1974. He is the only U.S. Cardinal, current or former, ever to be criminally charged with child sex crimes. Deborah Castellano Lubov at Vatican News reports Pope Francis will make an apostolic journey to the European nation of Hungary 28th to the 30th of April, marking his 41st journey abroad, where he will follow a busy itinerary in the country's capital, Budapest. More than half of Hungarians are Christian, and at least 30% of the population identify as Catholic. Catholic World News reports the Pope says to be aware of the devil's influence, quote, you cannot argue with the devil, end quote. Pope Francis warned those in attendance at his Sunday Angelus, Reflecting on the day's gospel, which recounted the devil's temptation of Jesus, the pontiff pointed out that Jesus encounters the temptations by quoting the word of God. He also remarked that Satan, quote, enters a scene to divide Jesus from the Father he always divides, end quote. And finally, Catholic World News reports that USCCB warns against the implications of the Equal Rights Amendment going through Congress. Quote, one consequence of the ERA would be the likely requirement of federal funding for abortions, end quote. The bishops warned in a letter to senators. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. The gospel of the day comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. Moreover, when you are at prayer... Do not use many phrases like the heathens, who think to make themselves heard by their eloquence. You are not to be like them. Your Heavenly Father knows well what your needs are before you ask Him. This, then, is to be your prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Your heavenly Father will forgive you your transgressions if you forgive your fellow men theirs. If you do not forgive them, your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions either. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Cornelius Lapide had a lot to say. He broke down the Our Father line by line, and I was timing his commentary. It was about 30 minutes long if you wanted to read it out loud. And so I highly recommend you go and check it out, his commentary there. But he said to try to summarize it in just a couple minutes, he says, Christ, therefore, here teaches that the essence of prayer does not consist in words profuse and drawn out, but in converse of the soul with God. And that this object, and as it were, the soul of prayer, is the desire and pious affection of the mind, which, however, does not, of course, exclude outward expression in words. What is Cornelius Lapide saying here? He's saying you don't need to just keep babbling about and just make up words and say all these things. It's saying something concise, something clear, expressing your mind and your heart. That's enough. You don't have to draw out these long prayers where you're just trying to fill time. And we kind of feel sometimes that if our prayer is longer, that we are, a, for some reason, we are more efficacious. Many times, in fact, I would argue most times, saying these prayers that are formulated by the saints and by the scriptures and just using those prayers are much more efficacious. Thus, therefore, ye shall pray, Our Father. Christ here delivers to Christians a method of prayer. But he does not command that we should use these words in none else, but only teaches that those things which should be asked by God in what order and what brevity they may be asked. Well, however, does the church use these words of Christ as being divine, most brief, clear, and efficacious? Whence Cyprian says, What can be more real prayer to the Father than that which proceeds from the mouth of the Son, who is the truth? This is a big deal because we see here that there is no greater prayer than the words that come out of our Lord's mouth. But our Lord tells us these things. What is he telling us? Why is he telling us this, rather? He's telling us this so that way we can express the truth of the gospel in the best and most clear way that we can. Because our Lord is teaching us the manner in which we can pray, what we should ask for, and the order in which he does this. St. Augustine expresses it. He says that he divides a prayer into seven petitions, and that the three first petitions are in relation to us and God, whereas the following petitions are between us and the honor that we seek of God. So for this is our end and our beatitude and the means by which we may attain unto it. So he breaks it down. He says, the Our Father, we need to understand the whole Trinity, or the Godhead, because all three persons operate equally in all things, and therefore are all equally to be invoked. So when we say Our Father, we're not you're restricting ourselves to only praying to the, the first person of the Trinity, the Father, but instead we understand that we're praying to God in his Trinity, in his Godhead, in his Trinity and Divinity. Uh, we ought to remember that when we call God our Father, we should act as sons of God, that as we have complacency in God being our Father, so he likewise may have complacency in our being his children. Let us have our conversation as temples of God, that it may be evident that God dwelleth in us, 
nor let our actions be degenerate from our spirit, that we who have begun to be celestial in spirit may think and act only after a heavenly spiritual manner. He goes on to talk about which art in heaven. Here, Christ admonishes us that when we pray, we should transfer our thoughts from earth to heaven, where God manifests his glory to the angels and the saints. So we should think of heavenly things. Hallowed be thy name means grant, O Lord, that not by the names of idols or devils or Muhammad or Arius or Luther or Calvin, but that thy name may be hallowed among men. Very interesting, right? The kingdom come. This is the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. The kingdom of God is fourfold. But he, I'm only going to tell you one of them. If you want to see the rest of them, you got to go see what he has to say there. But one of them, which is very interesting that many people forget and overlook, is the empire of God over all created things. That thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy domain endureth throughout all ages. And God's mystical kingdom by it, through faith and grace, that he reigns in the hearts of the faithful, but not simply in the hearts of the faithful, but in the exterior world as well. So, Christ should be king over all nations. Thy will be done, meaning, grant, O Lord, unto us thine abundant and efficacious grace, that by them means we ought therefore to imitate the promptitude, swiftness, and perfection of the angels in fulfilling the will of God. So what does that mean? That we should imitate the, the angels in doing the will of God and doing it promptly, that we should quickly do the will of God, recognize what that will is, and execute it. What does that mean? Well, it's very clear sometimes. Sometimes it's very clear what God's will is, namely that we should not sin. So if the option we have is option A is sin, option B is not sin, well, we automatically know that the option A is the will of God. Sometimes it could be more difficult, but in many cases it's simply that clear. As it is in heaven, so in an earth. He bids us who have our conversations here below have fellowship with the inhabitants of heaven. So let us pray to the saints. Let us talk to dialogue with the saints in heaven, namely Our Lady. And let me conclude with this. Give us this day our super substantial bread. This refers to two things, not simply the Eucharist, nor simply our food, but both. We are asking for both our corporeal food in which we are sustained by our lives, the bread for tomorrow. Let's ask for that. But also, let us ask God for the grace to receive Holy Communion more reverently, more perfectly, that we may receive him and be divinized like unto him. Let us pray for that into petition. Let's meditate today on the Our Father. The Our Father is so profound. Every single line of it was fashioned by our Lord. So let's meditate upon that today. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and it's so good to be on with you today. I hope you have said your morning prayers this morning. Every morning, the first thing on your lips should be praise to God. should be something to give God the adoration that's due to Him. There's a couple stories that I think are very concerning. Uh, two things that I want to talk about and I'll get into in a second is one is the story with the New York Times coming out and admitting that masks don't work, which I thought is very interesting. Two is that the from Forbes magazine, they put out a of where each agency, which U.S. agency stance on the Wuhan lab leak theory, because I've been told that that's a radical conspiracy theory and we should definitely not entertain that idea. And there's one other story that I might come into if we have time, but I just got sidetracked because I got this email. And I want to talk about this for a second because... It's actually kind of heartbreaking, and it's very concerning to me because this is a very common experience. This is not is not unique. I'll leave out some uh, private details for this email, but I received this email. It says, my mom is in failing health. A Eucharistic minister delivered communion last week. My mom went to Mass and confession some months ago. My mom did tell the Eucharistic minister the situation. But he still gave her communion, and my mom is on oxygen and is weak and nauseous. We got into a discussion a few days ago. I said a priest could make it his business to come to a house and hear confession. I got a little testy and blamed it on the sheer laziness on the part of the priest. Uh, what say you? I would like to take my mom to confession, but her health is going. Now, this is very concerning to me because this is not an uncommon situation. And... The whole situation with so-called Eucharistic ministers, because that's not actually what they're called. They're called Extraordinary Ministers of Holy Communion, which is the technical name for what they are. But they are not, um, they're not Eucharistic ministers. The Eucharistic minister is the priest. The priest is the normative uh, minister of Holy Communion. Everyone else who distributes communion is an extraordinary minister, especially the laity. Now, here's the concern. A Eucharistic minister, whether it be a deacon or a layperson who brings communion to those who are homebound, well, they're doing a good service because, you know, they people want them to want to receive communion and you're trying to be charitable. So I don't I'm not imputing any bad intentions on the people who are Eucharistic ministers. Instead, I'm saying these people who are homebound. Do you think they don't don't commit sin? Do you think that they are just perfect? Because 
we admit we're talking about during the, where the last segment about the Our Father, give us this day our super substantial bread. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Well, that's referring to the Eucharist. And when we ask our Lord for that petition, give us this day our daily bread, we're also asking for the grace to receive him well. But how can we receive our Lord well if we do not have confession available to us? I was thinking about this the other day because I was looking for a place to go to confession on a Saturday. And the only church that had, I looked up like 10 different churches and out of 10 different churches, there were two churches that had confessions on a Saturday. I was shocked by that. I was absolutely shocked. And maybe there's more. And if you, I just look, kept looking, I mean, we have a, over 140 churches in our diocese. So I'm sure I could have found some more if I kept looking. But it's absurd to me that I couldn't find it on a Saturday. And most churches only have it for one hour, two hours a week, usually on the same day. The priest's job is the salvation of souls, and it is. That's his primary duty, is to save souls. Then what could be more important than going to visit those who are homebound, who need their confessions heard, especially if you're requesting it? Especially if a, if a, if a layperson contacts you and says, hey, my mother's dying, She's very, her health is declining, she would like to, we don't know. I mean, she could die today. She could die a month from now. But she hasn't been to confession in a month. Could you come and hear her confession? So that way she can receive communion worthily. And that they didn't, they didn't come? That is so flabbergasting to me. And my, my suggestion in that situation is to keep contacting a different priest is to do what you can to get your, your mother a confession. That is just so heartbreaking. And I've heard so many stories like that, but I just got this email and it's kind of just put me on this tangent. It's just so heartbreaking. And I know there are so many good priests. I have a lot of friends that are great priests who would drop everything and say, Hey, I got a, I'm I have this uh, meeting with the parish council but that parish council meeting is less important than me going to go hear the confession of someone that's homebound. I, you're absolutely correct about that. I, I think part of the problem may be priests may not understand their role. Maybe they were not instructed. Maybe they're careless. But I also believe, and thoroughly I thought this through on, on this particular matter, there's, we just don't have enough priests. I, I, I believe that each parish is, was supposed to have three or four priests I'm thinking how, that's how it should be working. Instead, we have one priest for three or four parishes, so they're overworked. And the good ones, even if they are overworked, they do come by. But at the same time, what about the rural areas where there's one priest in a 100-mile radius? I'm yeah. concerned about those uh, most especially, but, but not to, to, minimize, uh, to minimize those that are in the city and, and can't find a good priest. No, that's true. There, we do have a priest shortage, but... Instead of, instead of not doing that, what they should do is, hey, I can't do these administrative works. I have to pass that off to someone else. We have our parish secretary. We have this person. We have our deacons. Well, they're going to do that work so that way I can hear more confessions, so that way I can go visit the sick, 
so I can go and hear confessions, so I can go visit the nursing homes because I need to provide the sacraments for these people. That's my primary job. So everyone else, you are going to have to do the administrative work. You are going to have to do the finances. You are going to have to do this. I'm still going to be in charge of it. I'm still overseeing it, but I'm delegating these tasks to someone else, and I will be the Eucharistic minister. I will go over there and do that job and because no one else can do it. You can't delegate those jobs away. Someone else might be even more qualified than the priest to do the finances, to do the bookkeeping, to do the uh, principaling of the, of the school, all these different jobs. Yeah, the priest is very busy. The priest is overworked. But that is his primary job. Everything else comes second. Everything. Everything must come second to the salvation of souls. If this person died today, what would be the priest's reaction? I hope he'd be repentant. I was talking about the story of Venerable Louis de Pont. It was months ago. And he was gravely ill in bed, very much, very much sick. And this young girl came to him and told him, my mother is dying. Please come. She has been a reprobate for her whole life, and she needs confession now. And he leaped from his bed, sick, dying, and ran to the person's house. And when he arrived, the woman had died before he got there. And he said that he prayed and thanked God that he did not hesitate for not one moment. Because if he had hesitated for even one moment, then he would have blamed himself that it was his fault that when he arrived that she was dead and that she did not have her confessions heard. But he knew that he did everything he could. That he hopped out of bed, sick, dying, and he rushed there as with great speed, as fast as he could make it. And it was not his fault that it had happened. How many priests would have that attitude? How many priests say, well, I'll go visit them on Wednesday because I'm busy today and I'm busy tomorrow, but I think I can come in on Wednesday. And the person dies before that. This is a grave situation. And that would weigh hard on my soul. I know priests have a hard job. I know it's difficult. I know it's time consuming. I have many friends that are priests and I, I get it. But it's so heartbreaking. What if that was your mother? That was of your grandmother, your father, your brother, your daughter. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. Okay, pray for my friend's mother's soul that she's able to uh, get a priest to visit her. But let's move on to uh, this story. With the little time we have, I think we're only going to cover one story. Uh, the New York Times finally came out and admitted that masks don't work. I thought that was great. Finally. I say you're finally coming out and admitting something that we all kind of knew for a long time. And we've been talking about this on CDT since we started. Uh, the most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published late last month. Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist, says there is just no evidence that they, the masks, make any difference, he told journalist Demisi, full stop. But wait, hold on. What about N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality surgical cloth mask? Makes no difference. None of it, said Jefferson. What about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. There's no evidence that many of these things made any difference. End quote. 
this is a huge admission that they're making. Uh, these observations don't come from just anywhere. Jefferson and 11 colleagues conducted the study for a British nonprofit that is widely considered the gold standard for its review of healthcare data. The conclusion was based on 78 randomized controlled trials, six of them during the COVID pandemic, with a total of 610,000 participants in multiple countries. It seems like a very credible source. No study or study of studies is ever perfect. Science is never absolute or settled. What's more, the analysis does not prove that proper masks properly worn had no benefit at an individual level. People may have good personal reasons to wear masks, and they may have the discipline to wear them consistently. Their choices are their own. But when it comes to the population level, benefits of masking, the verdict is in. Mask mandates were a bust. Those skeptics who were furiously mocked as cranks and occasionally censored as misinformers for opposing mandates were right. This is the New York Times. This is crazy to me. The mainstream experts and pundits who supported mandates were wrong. In a better world, it would behoove the latter group to acknowledge their error, along with its considerable physical, psychological, and pedagogical political cost. But whatever the reason, mass mandates were a fool's errand from the start. They may have created a false sense of safety and thus permission to resume semi-normal life. They did almost nothing to advance safety itself. The report ought to be the final nail in this particular coffin. There's a final lesson. The last justification for masks is that even if they proved to be ineffectual, they seemed like a relatively low-cost, intuitively effective way of doing something against the virus in the early days of the pandemic. But do something is not science, and it shouldn't have been public policy. And the people who had the courage to say as much deserve to be listened to, not treated with contempt. They may never, ever get the apology they deserve, but vindication ought to be enough. There you go. Um, vindication is not enough, but it does feel good to say that uh, finally the New York Times is out there admitting that the masks never worked. Not that they don't work right now, but they never worked, even the N95 ones. So keep that in mind. And normally I don't like to rub things in. I was thinking about it, I was like, eh, but it's important to people know that we weren't just making this up, that this wasn't just our feelings, that this is actually true. This is facts. Even the New York Times finally comes out and admits it. But we'll be right back with more from Catholic Drive Time. Amy Wellborn will be on with us talking about trans books for kids. Right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non Catholic friend. When you walk into your non denominational church or your mega church, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle tabernacle and a large crucifix. And thirdly, my take. So what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. I believe that the Ministry of Catholic Radio is one of the greatest tools we have in the Church for evangelism today. I hear from people all over the world on a daily basis who have encountered Christ in the Catholic Church for the first time by listening to Catholic Radio. 
please support the ministry of Catholic Radio today. Support Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Welcome back to the second Catholic Drive Time. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Tyler Arnold at Catholic News Agency reports the Diocese of Albany, New York, has at least temporarily banned the traditional Latin Mass at two parishes to comply with an order issued by the Vatican last week. Effective immediately, parish churches in the diocese are prohibited from celebrating the Latin Mass in accordance with the Missal Romanum of 62, according to a statement from the diocese. Lisa Zengarini at Vatican News reports in the latest move against the Catholic Church and government opponents in Nicaragua, Daniel Ortega's regime has reportedly banned the traditional public processions of the Way of the Cross in all parishes in the country. During Lent and also on Good Friday, the ritual will take place inside the churches and not in public venues. The move comes in context of President Ortega's escalating crackdown against the Catholic Church in Nicaragua. Suman Koraya at Asia News reports over a thousand Telugu Christians from Dolpur, Jarabri district find themselves homeless after being evicted by the Dhaka South City Corporation, one of the two municipalities in which the capital of Bangladesh is divided. Christians make up less than 1% and are constantly persecuted in this country. And finally, Tyler Arnold at Catholic News Agency reports as the Vatican begins to crack down on bishops who issue dispensations for parishes that offer the traditional Latin Mass, at least one bishop is defending the Latin Mass community within his diocese and urging a more localized approach. Bishop Thomas Paprocki of the Diocese of Springfield, Illinois, told the Catholic News Agency that the Latin Mass community in his diocese has been faithful to the Church and that bishops should be given the authority to allow these faithful Masses to continue. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And joining us in just a moment will be Amy Wellborn. She's the author of over 20 books on Catholic spirituality, apologetics, and history. She holds a BA in history from the University of Tennessee and an MA in church history from Vanderbilt University. That's pretty cool. A master's in, in history. History is a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I've always wanted to, you know, as one thing that I never got to take a class in was church history. So I would always, I would love to do that someday. Uh, but joining us right now via the Zoom chat is Amy Wellborn. Good morning to you. Good morning. Can you hear me? Absolutely. I can hear you loud and clear. Uh, thank you for joining okay. us. Uh, you know, Amy, one of the things that I thought was really concerning, I was looking at your, your blog and the first thing that came up was the story of the this this children's book series she persisted publishing a book about so-called Rachel Levine I think I think his name is actually Richard Levine but the yes. this, this this guy they're publishing a book for children about a trans person this this transvestite and for showing forth the a example of a good woman uh, tell me about this. Right. Well, as you said, She Persisted is a, um, a book series put out for children, mainly directed at girls, of course, focusing on inspirational women through history. 
Um, it's put, I think it's a subdivision of Penguin Books that puts it out. You know, people like Florence Nightingale and Ella Fitzgerald and so on and so forth. And so a forthcoming title, as you pointed out, coming in June, is focused on Rachel Levine, who is uh, works in, you know, is a decorated military person and has uh, is works for the United States government now in HHS and transitioned quote transitioned late in life and as you said is being presented as a role model for girls and you know this is concerning on so many levels first of all in normalizing um, trans uh, gender ideology and trans ideology and so on no normalizing that for children but secondly presenting a man <laughs> as a model woman is um, kind of, you know, it's disconcerting and disappointing and wrong. And it's harmful, I think, for uh, girls and young women to be shown a dude as a great role model for what a woman should be. Yeah, for sure. It's very, very concerning. And it's it, it comes up during this time when we're seeing a lot of, books that are being published promoting transgender ideology to children. And I, we are seeing a lot of these people coming out at school boards trying to read these stories to the parents, and the school board bans them. Do you, are you familiar with those stories? Yeah, I am. And and the, the whole narrative of uh, using, of course, books to form children and manipulate children. I mean, that's kind of what children's literature, part of what children's literature has been used for by adults um, to, you know, form children in whatever way that the adults want them to be formed. And um, these kinds of books that you pointed out are being read and banned at school board, ironically banned at school board meetings are, you know, uh, usually for middle school and older teens and are sexually explicit and so on. But this started a while back. I mean, this started back, one of the first most popular books on the score was published in 2008, and it's called 10,000 Dresses. And it's about a little boy who kind of envisions himself in dresses all the time, right? Um, and that was 2008, and it's a picture book for little children. The most well-known probably is uh, the book written by, co-written by transgender child, young person, poster child, Jazz Jennings, I am Jazz, right? Um, and uh, this is an extremely popular book. It is featured in schools all over the place. It's been banned in a lot of schools, too, but it's featured in schools telling Jazz Jennings' story of when he was two years old, two years old, questioning his gender identity and you know, through childhood, socially, quote, transitioning, and then finding acceptance as a girl. Um, and, of course, there's a, a TLC television series based on uh, Jazz Jennings' life and current life and so on. So, yeah, it's a, it's propaganda, It's um, and it's something definitely to look out for. Hi, Amy. This is uh, Tito Edwards. Good to finally speak with you. Isn't it... Hi. Is, hi. Isn't it interesting that they're offering these books to these children, so it creating confusion in them early in life, 
and they're going to be grow, grow, grow up to be highly dysfunctional individuals and adults when they, fi- when they come to reason, when they get into their teens and in their 20s, they will realize that this is, this is so wrong. Already, already we have so many uh, teens transitioning back to what they were correctly, and, and I've not seen this before, just a large population of them coming out and speaking out what can we do as as uh, parents when they start propagandizing our children? I know some of us send our kids to Catholic school or homeschool, but how can parents prepare for this? Well, this is very important. First of all, they parents need to educate themselves, and they need to um, educate themselves beyond the narratives that are put out there by, of course, the mainstream media and even sympathetic Catholic voices um unsympathetic to the truth but you know what i mean um and there are lots of resources out there that will assure parents that they are not alone in fighting this sometimes we get the feeling that we're the only ones that we're you know maybe we're a little crazy maybe we are being mean you know and not being sensitive to these issues and so on but the truth is there is a huge pushback that's happening right now, um, both in Europe and in the United States on all levels. And so, first of all, be assured that you are not alone and there are good resources out there. Secondly, see the bigger picture here. You know, see the bigger picture. As you kind of alluded to, there's a there's a dissonance here. There, What children are being taught, what they are being formed to believe is that in the name of acceptance it's kind of a radical non-acceptance um they are being taught that what they see when they look in the mirror is may not really be them they are being taught that their embodied selves cannot be trusted that true self-acceptance comes in kind of this endless gnostic exploration and trying to figure out what's in your head as something that's separate from your body. And so we need to address that first. We need to, first of all, teach children the truth about human identity, and not just sexuality, but about human identity, that we are embodied creatures, we are good, and to accept ourselves and our limitations um, as we are. So, you know, that's that's a key, you know, to, to make sure that that link between body and soul, body and spirit, is not broken. Because that's what these books and this movement tries to do. And what it does, it sets up young people for a lifetime of not only dependence on, uh, you know, medicalization and pharmaceuticals, but a lifetime of anxiety, a lifetime of wondering who am I, who I really am. And we are, you know, anybody who engages with young people already knows the kind of sky-high levels of anxiety and depression that exist in this population, tragically and very frustratingly. And this does nothing to help. <laughs> you know, this makes it worse. Absolutely. Because it divides itself. Yeah, and, absolutely. This um, is very concerning. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the situation. And let's talk about some alternatives as well at the side of the break. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave to GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and it's so good to be on with you today. Uh, We have Amy Wellborn on with us. She's the author of over 20 books on Catholic spirituality, apologetics, and history. Holds a BA in history from the University of Tennessee and an MA in church history from Vanderbilt University. I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, Thank you for being on with us, Amy. And oh, I'm Amy, glad to be here. Amy, before we went to break, I, I had to cut you off there. I wanted to give you opportunity to finish your thought. Um, boy, it's early. I don't even remember. Okay, what and then we'll, we'll move <laughs> no. forward then. Um, so the uh, one thing that I wanted to, yeah, to okay. discuss was these, these transgender ideology. One thing that often comes up whenever it comes up to a school board meetings is they, the argument that people will make is, oh, well, we have to support freedom of speech. So we can't be banning these uh, transgender AG, LGBT books and from our schools because we promote freedom of speech. How would you respond to that kind of res- argument? Well, of course, we all know how lame that is, how hypocritical that is, because, of course, they're not going to allow you know, children to bring even bring in Bibles and put them on their desks, right? Um, so, you know, that's just a, a bogus kind of argument. But, you know, and to me, that's the essential question. Do you allow every, you know, conceivable book in your libraries, in your classroom? No, you don't. And therefore, you know, the it's, it's a bigger question of who's in charge, you know, who or not who's in charge, but who has a say, who has a voice? Why do parents not have a voice? Uh, in this kind of decision making. And I think this is a question that's being raised more and more, and hopefully with great fruit. Absolutely. Um, um, you know, the when response to this, I think the probably the most famous response to this was uh, Matt Walsh's Johnny the Walrus. And I want to talk a little bit about alternatives for our children. How do we inoculate our children from these uh, these ideologies that are attacking them? Because I know so many people are are terrified that their kids are going to school and they're going to be exposed to these things unbeknownst to the parents. And next thing you know, I mean, we heard horror stories of parents finding out 
six years down or six months down the road that at school they had been dressing as a woman they've been called by different names they've been exposed he has ideas and the parents never even knew so how how can we inoculate our kids from this well i mean i think it all comes down to it begins and with relationships family relationships um you know i i think that if we are have good open relationships with our children if they know that they can tell us anything without fear if they know that whatever is going on in their lives or at school they can communicate to us without big fear of being punished that's a good first step um because you know secrecy is where this all starts secrecy and and actually this is something that you know this gender ideology movement is famed for and what it emphasizes separating um, families is separating children from families and in kind of letting children know that their real friends their real family is something else other than their uh, biological family and so that to me it starts there it starts with relationship and you know there's no inoculation that you can do but it, it you know if you have a good open relationship and it and it assuring your child knows that growing up is really hard that puberty is really hard that we are going to question and wonder who we are and how we fit in the world and our bodies are going to change and be weird and uncomfortable um but that's normal you know i that's and i think that's one of the things that i find most upsetting about this whole movement and i've written about this a lot on my blog and this doesn't just apply to children but to all of us you know the gender ideology movement is all about i want the way i present on the outside to match what i feel on the inside well you know what i'm 62 I feel about 30. I'd like that too, but it's not happening, is it? <laughs> and if I went on some kind of, you know, life-changing rampage to make it happen, all my kids would like look at me and say, what's wrong with you? This is life in that we are, you know, this is not our home. We are on a journey and that our embodied selves as they are, are is something we have to accept and conform our minds to not try to conform our bodies to what our minds tell us to you know this is you know generally in history when people have not been able to have had difficulties um linking up what they think of themselves and what they really are we call that mental illness tragically mental illness when a 70 pound girl you know young woman looks at herself in the mirror and says i'm so fat we don't encourage her and affirm her and say you're right you are you need to go on a diet no we call that what it is which is anorexia and we try to help her align her inner self with her body so that's you know to me you know there's no like book that can inoculate but it's a family system and a family kind of culture that is based on teaching children you know the reality of human life which is suffering and limitations limitations of our bodies acceptance gratitude to god for our bodies trust in god that he made us and he knew what he was doing and that it is a you know it's not only an act of ingratitude but it's kind of a sin it, it not kind of but it is a sin to tell god you made a mistake you know you put me in the wrong body <laughs> um 
and to you know encourage that kind of thinking as well as open communication and trust. Hi, Amy. Being a, having a history background, um, I'd like to ask you as a because you can prognosticate if you know the history, then you may be able to extrapolate from what's going on today. How do you see this bearing out? What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to have some sort of law coming through Congress saying that it's okay to separate children from parents because the parents, it, they may be abusive, but not allowing them? I, I mean, how do you see playing out with the next two to four years? Well, you know, it's hard to predict anything, but I, yep. you know, I do look at this and uh, pretty closely every day, and I look at the situation in Europe and in the United States, as well as in Central America, Mexico and Central America. And what happens in, what's happening in Europe is kind of, they're a little bit ahead of us. So when you look at particularly England, you see a big um, kind of uh, reaction against trans ideology. I'm at, you know, there are some days where I'm kind of depressed about it, but then there are a lot of days when I'm very hopeful. Um, so for example, you know, signs of hope. This is state legislation season, right, in the United States. All across the country, state legislatures are considering bills that ban these kinds of medical procedures, gender transitioning medical procedures for children, puberty blockers, surgeries, and so on. And they are passing. They are passing. If we can break that, <laughs> if we can break that, that's a big step. Um, if we can hold the line against policies that seek to instill gender self-identification, gender identity as a standard along with sex and race and so on. If we can hold the line and not let that happen, we've made a lot of progress. So, I, you know, I do think that the people are peaking. That's what we call it in this world. We say, you know, people, you know, look at the craziness and, you know, the, people, you know, they want to be nice. They want to be accepted. And they have one sense of what all this is about. It's about, oh, maybe a few people who kind of feel bad about themselves and want to feel better about themselves so they present in a different way. And then they encounter individuals, you know, in the public life, like Rachel Levine. Let's, you know, circle back to Rachel Levine um, or Dylan Mulvaney or people like that. And they say, wait a minute. This is kind of crazy, and we call that moment peaking. <laughs> when you look at and you are able to see this movement for what it is, which is a very aggressive um, movement that is seeking to kind of break the fundamentals of human identity um, as they were created by God. And so I'm actually kind of hopeful, uh, but it, it re it's going to require people to face and talk about kind of unpleasant things um, when we talk about particularly men who, quote, transition. There's a lot of sexual fetishes and stuff that's going on there. It's stuff that's hard to talk about that we don't want to talk about. But we have to confront it. We have to be honest about it. And so, you know, in the end, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. But I think the pushback is real. And I think people are slowly coming to their senses. Yeah, I, I really hope so. I really hope so. I think uh, more and more as things get crazier, many people are waking up to see that there is really a disaster. Uh, but let's look at uh, some of your books and some other books that you may be aware of. Uh, in the last uh, couple minutes that we have together, what are some alternatives that 
people could purchase that they can purchase for their kids in terms of like promoting Catholic values, books about saints that are made for kids, things like that? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I have written a lot of books on saints for kids, the Loyola Kids Book of Saints, the Loyola Kids Book of Heroes. I have a new book coming out um, in just a month, and I think I'm getting my first copies today, the Loyola Kids Book of Feast Seasons and Celebrations, um, all of which are oriented towards not just conveying information to children, but immersing children into the life of the church, which is essentially the life of Christ, with connecting them deeply with the church, connecting them deeply with the saints and the liturgical year, so that that becomes the touchstone for their identity. Not what the world is telling them, not what they're hearing on TikTok, but the life of Christ. That, you know, they're, they are, God made them, God loves them, they are here because God loves them. They are here on purpose <laughs> for a reason because God wanted them to be here. God loves them as they are. And that fulfillment and happiness is not found in chasing some kind of Gnostic identity that may, that you kind of maybe feel you are today and maybe might not feel tomorrow, but in connecting yourself and binding yourself to the love of Christ and being formed in him. Awesome. Praise be to God. Thank you very much, nice. Amy, for being on with us. Uh, Amy is the author of over 20 Catholic spiritual apologetics and history books. Uh, go check her out. Amy, where can people connect with you? Well, my website is Amy Wellborn, and that's one L dot com, <laughs> amywellborn.com. And my blog is called Charlotte Was Both. Um, it's after the last line in Charlotte's Web. And it should be oh. easy to find if you just do a search. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much, Amy, for being on with us. God bless you. God love you. And let's pray for our children. Let's pray. They have to be warriors from day one fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil because they're coming after them. So make sure you're prayered up. You got the sacraments fortifying you. You're wearing your brown scapular, your miraculous medal. You're praying the family rosary. All these things will be guardians against the enemies who are seeking to devour. In the next hour, if you could join us, We'll be having our game show, Fear and Trembling, so make sure you tune in. But if not, we'll see you back 6 a.m. Central on Catholic Drive Time. God love you. Ever feel like life's just too much? Maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace today, begin at CatholicsComeHome.com. I used to wonder if God really cared about me. Then I started praying and going to church. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out CatholicsComeHome.com. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices that 
they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. Donnie, name four of the seven sacraments. Baptism, confession. That's right, reconciliation. Communion and confirmation. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Charity. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name is Catherine and Valerie and Sarah, and we attend St. Maximilian Colby Catholic Community. And you're listening to KSHJ Houston, 1430 AM. Radio for your soul. When Amy was talking about how, you know, some people, you know, don't identify as being old. Like some people are just 60 years old or however old they are, and they pretend that they're like 20, 25. And I know this one guy who... He is uh, not a young buck anymore, but he decided to go out to play rugby and uh, injured himself after playing for not that long. Uh, did you know that guy, Tito? That name, that person sounds so familiar. It's very similar to my circumstances. Yeah, <clears throat> I went out. It's like, I, was, I know him because yeah, he is me. <laughs> that, he is me. It, it was old injuries and one was an old injury, another was an injury I was unaware of, and rugby just exacerbated exa both of them. And so uh, my left knee is okay now, and I'm into the fifth month of a six-month recovery of uh, rotator cuff surgery. So good times. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, no matter how you identify, it just won't change reality. If you're 50, 60 years old, <laughs> and you uh, identify as a 25-year-old, it just ain't going to work. It just ain't going to work. Though, you know, it's kind of funny, though, because at least for age, it would make a little bit more sense because age is a little bit more flexible in the sense that time is actually relative, whereas everything else is not. So I always thought that was kind of amusing. They, they <laughs> skipped over transagism. They skipped over transracialism and then jumped right into changing people's genders. And it's just, just so amusing, the, the absurdity of it all. Re reality catch catches up with you. I, Amy touched on that one person, Jazz Jennings. Yeah. She she now, uh, her body is reacting. She's only, well, she, well, he is only about 12 or 13 years old, I think, in, in late in high school. I'm not really certain, around that age. And now she is suffering depression and, and other physical disabilities. One acute uh, disability, not, not disability, but... Uh, consequence of what she's doing, all those drugs, she's she's ballooned in weight, and she's almost unrecognizable from what she was three years ago. Oof. I just feel so 
sad for her and upset with her own parents. Yep. Yeah, that's horrible. So many people. We're going to see. I'm really looking forward to seeing all the lawsuits come out against all these doctors, so-called doctors. I don't even know if you can call them doctors because they are harming their patients rather than helping them. Mangalism. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, but, you know, all this to say, at the end of the day, what is our responsibilities? Well, our primary responsibility is to get ourselves and those around us to heaven so if that means the, the, the task at hand is to abandon these schools, abandon these places that are leading our families to, to hell, if it means abandoning our phones, abandoning TikTok, abandoning all these things that are leading souls away, then got to do it. Amen. At the end of the day, that's all that matters, right, Tito? Correct. Get off, like John Sr. says, throw out that TV. I mean, don't turn it off. Don't put it in the closet. Throw it in the dumpster. Same goes for your cell phone and your computer. Well, depending on, on your <laughs> background, but uh, you need discipline. You need to get, buy a piano, learn some songs, how to play the piano, sing with your kids, do outdoor activities. These are so wholesome and fun, and, and you will see your psychological outlook just change. You'll, you'll not be, you won't feel tired. You won't feel maybe a little depressed, anxiety creeping in. It's because of all that screen time. That's so true. Uh, I mean, there was a case. Oh, I wish I pulled up the story because now you just triggered that in my mind. I didn't think to pull it up. There was a story of this young lady who had gender dysmorphia. She was, they, she wanted to get, uh, be trans and this poor little girl, uh, was also suicidal. She had a ton of different mental health issues and the therapist who somehow they found the one good therapist out there and the therapist recommended that she be, have her phone taken away for a month. And so she went completely techless, no computer, no phone. No TV. After one month of no technology, all her mental illness went away. All of it. Incredible. That is outstanding. The, the screen time, we, even as, a, as, an, as adults, many of us, when you go into a restaurant, when you go in the streets of your local town or city, the majority of people are looking down at their little black cell phones just as the prophecy at Akita was saying, Our Lady said people will be absorbed into with their little black boxes. Yeah, their little black boxes. Honestly, we are these uh, apparitions you see in the past where they're talking about these things. Like, there's a number of people who talked about uh, visions of people having little black boxes that were like because uh, they had no concept or even language to articulate something like a screen, and they were talking about those kind of things though. And they're saying how this was like letting the devil into your into your living room. I was like, Oof. I know when it first came out. I think in 1975, and I first read about it in the early 1990s, right before the dawn of the internet. The I had I thought, well, that was confusing. Little black boxes. Why would we we be obsessed with a cardboard box painted in black? <laughs> I, you're right. It's hard. It's hard to conceive. It's hard to describe something that you've never seen before. And that is a prime example right there. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And maybe that's the play during Lent to just like go techless. Now, that would be so hard for many people, especially for particular people for their jobs. But yeah. if you're a parent, maybe enforce techlessness 
on your children for land. The kids in the car are like, no, don't do it. Don't listen. Turn it off. That's but no, that would be great. I, I agree. That would be a great mortification on some level. Yes, you're, you're itching to see the news. You want to see who texts you. You want to see what's going on on Snapchat. However that thing operates, throw it away. Put it away. You will, you will notice within yourself, within days, how much better you feel. You'll, you'll come out of Lent being almost a new person in Christ, and you'll have better discipline to control your habit, your neurosis of having to have something to look at constantly. And I'm also talking about myself. So, yeah, yeah it's I was, tough. I was talking to our buddy David Magianis here in the studio. He's the business manager for the GRN. And David and I were talking. He was like, you know, I'm just not a huge reader guy. Like I've never been. I have to. It's difficult. But he's like, there's a few books that I read. But o- o- overall, at the end of the day, I'm not a huge reader. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know how difficult it is in the 21st century to be a reader? It's so hard. We live in a time where it is more difficult to read than ever before. Why? Not because we're illiterate, which, I mean, we kind of are a little bit, but it's because we have so many distractions, so many distractions. And so what I was told by my professor, and y'all might remember Dr. Rebard, and Dr. Rebard's been in the studio many times, and we've had him on, but he told me the only way that I can get things done, and Dr. Rebard's not a young guy. He's a little bit older. He grew up in that time period. He used to, he loves to tell stories about the 50s and the sisters in the 50s, how they used to teach catechism to him and things like that, and he loves it. But, yes, he, he was telling me the only way that I can read is if I get one of those timers. So he gets a timer, those old um, hey, cooking timers, that yes. like the shape of a tomato, <laughs> whatever they call those things. And he sets him for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, whatever it is, whatever his set time is for that day. And he sets that timer off. And during that time, he said, my phone's off. My computer's off. I sit at that chair. I have the book in my hand. There is no, uh, I do not respond to anything or anybody. If I'm hungry, then I'm just going to have to go hungry for that time period. If I'm thirsty, then I'm just going to have to be thirsty for that time period. If I have to use a restroom, well, then I better hold it. Because during that time when that clock is going off, I am reading. And then once that clock goes off, I have a short break and I can go do whatever it is that I need to do. But when that clock goes back on, then it's back into the grind. And that's really the only way. That's the only way to do it. So maybe that's the tactic that people need to take on. Whatever that time is, if you can't give up an hour, maybe you can say 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes, I'm going to set a timer. And I am not looking at a single bit of technology. I'm going to pick up a spiritual reading. I'm going to pick up some good book, maybe a good fiction. It doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual book, but maybe the season of Lent, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe pick up The Imitation of Christ, 15 minutes a day. Pick it up, read 15 minutes. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a terrific idea. Even better, grab a lawn chair, go outside in your garage or lawn or forested area, and just sit down and read that book. That would be outstanding that would be you would feel so much better that'd be wonderful yeah really it's the only way to do it nowadays i think that if more people decided to do that what is it the the was it blaze pascal i want to say it was blaze pascal and his pincers he says that all the world's problems uh, are rooted in the fact that a man cannot sit alone in a room for 30 minutes by himself so apropos so accurate 
Wow. And that was a long time ago when he said that. And he didn't have phones, TVs, no technology existed yet. No telegraph. No telegraph. And he was still talking about back then how man just cannot sit still, cannot be bored. We, we are the most bored society in the world. And it's very strange because we have a constant entertainment. That's timeless wisdom. Yes, constant entertainment. That's, the, that's what's keeping us so caught up in the world is we feel we need to be entertained. We think we need to be entertained. All these options on TV, on streaming, on your computer, on your cell phone, it is incredible what you can touch at the at your tip of your fingertips and not realize how distracted you are, how much more uh, perturbed you get, how much more anxious you can be, how much little things start to bother you. Maybe we need to do a self-reflection. We need to look into ourselves and see how much time are we looking at that screen, just staring back at us with Mostly pointless and unnecessary information. Yes, it's entertaining. But how much entertainment do you need in a day? There are so many other productive things that you can do, such as spending time with your kids, reading a book like Adrian was saying, praying. Yeah, for sure. The um, There's a book. It's forgetting. Joseph Pieper. The, The book is The Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And the American idea... And this might be worth worthy of a whole conversation in of itself. The whole basis of culture should be having free time. But our American culture says, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush till life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. Uh, that's, that's kind of the American attitude. But instead, we should have time where we're not doing anything. We don't have any, we don't have any plans and we don't waste that time with being slothful, just lying around watching television, but actually do something with that time. It doesn't have to be productive in the sense that I am uh, making money or I'm doing something like that, but it needs to be productive in a sense that it's something that is good for my soul, something that's good for the society, something that's good for culture, good for my family, good for the betterment of me as a person, and not just vegging out, looking at a TV. I say this, though, and I, I've done, I, I do this all the time, but... It's something that we need to correct, something we need to perfect in ourselves. Yeah. Gardening, reading, walking. Gardening. Taking a stroll in in the woods, uh, or if you're in Arizona in the desert, (laughs) there there, there are beautiful places out there. It's it's not just sand, but uh, there there are many productive, healthier things that will de-stress you, that will make you calm down, that will bring peace and you will be the better for it. There, it's, we don't want to hurt ourselves by mortifying and fasting and all these things. They're designed to help us be better Christians, better humans. Mm-hmm. One and one, both of them are almost one and the same. One hundred percent. And it's interesting. I was reading a lot of the different fathers talking about Lent, and they all say, for the betterment of our physical bodies as well as our spirituals. And I was like, there you go. Lent is not just getting better spiritually, but it's also getting better physically. That's pretty awesome. Well, we're going to head into our game show, Fear and Trembling. So make sure you call in now, 877-757-9424. That's the number if you want to join us in our game show, Fear and Trembling, 877-757-9424. That number again is 877 
888-557-9424. You could be our caller. If you just dial, you pick up the phone. If you've never called before, here's my invitation to you. Call now, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Do you want to grow closer to God in prayer, overcome temptation, become a better Catholic, grow in holiness in your state in life, and just want to be a happier person? Hi, this is Father Sam Medley from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, host of a weekly program, A Life Lived Joyfully, brought to you by the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays as we dive into the Catholic Daily Mass readings as the basis for this call to holiness, 3 p.m. Central and 4 p.m. Eastern. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when you try to keep up with the current fashions? You go nuts. When we are obsessed with keeping up with the times, we become slaves. Fashions are never settled. To chase something that is always changing is simply futile. It's not freedom, it's insanity. G.K. Chesterton says... The Catholic Church is the only thing that saves a man from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. Christianity is always out of fashion because it's always sane, and fashions are always insane. The Catholic Church never has to worry about being behind the times because it is beyond the times. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. If everyone regularly went to confession, why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be on the Fear and Trembling Game Show where we ask not you the questions, but I'm going to ask Tito and I'm going to ask Rudy three Catholic trivia questions and it's your job to determine who's right, who's wrong, and it'll be very simple, I promise. You'll, you'll definitely get at least one right, but most people, I think, will be able to figure out who's tricking them and get all three. But, yeah, make sure you write that number down because if you don't get on today, well, praise be to God, you have more opportunities tomorrow to be on the game show. So make sure you write that number down, 877-757-9424. But I am very excited because we already have somebody online. Good morning to you. Uh, let's see. Is that a Valeria? Valeria? Hello? Good morning. How do you say your name? Areli. Valeri. Areli, yeah. Oh, Areli. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Where are you calling from? I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Oh, praise be to God, San Antonio. We get a lot of 
of uh, people from San Antonio. San Antonio, I think, must be one of the greatest cities because obviously they must be great if they're all listening to Catholic Drive Time, right? Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Praise be to God. That's wonderful. Arely, where are you headed this morning? Well, uh, I'm on my way to drop off my daughter, Genesis, to uh, her school. Uh, uh-huh. I took her to St. Mary Magdalene Catholic School. So we Praise tried every morning calling you guys, and she was very excited. And I said, how about we try one more time? She said, yeah, let's try it. And uh-huh. we went, the line went through, so she's very excited right now. Praise be to God. That's wonderful. How old is your daughter? She's eight. She's eight. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Well, good morning to you. That's praise be to God. That's so wonderful. I think that's pretty. That's pretty great. Arely, um, the your your eight year old, is she a genius? She's a theologian. I'm, I'm presuming. Uh, yeah. She um, she loves going to Catholic school and she's learned a lot. So. She's oh ready. Wow. Okay. You hear that, guys? She's she's gonna get. She's gonna <laughs> nail it. Easy peasy. So, all right, Arely, are you all ready to play the game? Yes, we're ready. Awesome, awesome. Well, we are going to go with Rudy first, which is our custom. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning. Here Rudy. I am. Here I am. Come and follow me. Something, <laughs> something. Uh, Rudy, are you ready? I am ready. Then let's jump into it. All right, let's do it. The first question. On this one, I can understand why someone might get confused, but it's, it's fairly straightforward. How was St. Stephen put to death? How was he put to death? How was he put to death? Well, let me paint a picture for you. Okay. It's a grim picture. I'm, I'm picturing it. The Sanhedrin. Okay. You know, the guys with the... Uh, with the funny the outfits. outfits yeah. You know, the hats and stuff. Yeah. Long beards. They dragged him out from the Damascus Gate. Oh, wow. In Jerusalem. Okay. And then they stoned him to death. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, St. Stephen, the first deacon. Pray for us. Pray for us. Okay, Tito, same question. Uh, who was, or not who, how was St. Stephen put to death? I think uh, very accurate, um, but uh, I think he, he was dragged from the Damascus Gate, but all they did was strip him of his clothes and laughed at him until oh, he wow. died. They laughed at him to death. Yes. Wow. Now that's the way to go. Um, I, I can imagine, like, sometimes... I've been embarrassed, and I was just like, I just wanted to die, and he actually did. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, well, there you go. Arely, um, there's your there's your answer for you. The question is, how was St. Stephen put to death? Rudy says that the Sanhedrin dragged him out of the city of Damascus and stoned him to death, whereas Tito says, yes, that's true. They did. They did drag him out. Uh, the Sanhedrin did do that, but they didn't stone him to death. They just ridiculed him so much. That he died of embarrassment. 15 seconds on the clock. Eria, uh, Arely, uh, what say you? Um, I, what was the name of the first person? We got Rudy. 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 Yeah, we're going with Rudy. All right. Nailed it. Way to go, Rudy. Just a quick uh, little correction there. Okay. It wasn't Damascus. It wasn't Damascus. That was the Damascus Gate. Oh, so, yeah. okay, okay. The Damascus Gate is not in Damascus? No, it's in Jerusalem. What? Yeah. Okay. Is it because it's like facing Damascus or something? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Anyway, uh, that's a that's a that's a uh, rabbit hole to go down. But really, uh, <laughs> very good. You're in for one. God, you're in for one. Are you ready for number two? Yes. All right. Let's jump into it. Uh, second question. 
Tito. Yes. What is the term for a major decree from the Apostolic Chancery, the most solemn of communications originating in the Vatican? I think, uh, well, most solemn, coming from the Apostolic Chancery, I'd say Apostolic Bull, because a bull is so huge, very intimidating, makes you want to be quiet in solemnity. Okay. Okay. Apostolic bull. Apostolic bull is what you're saying. Yep. All right. Well, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> that this is going to be a very easy question. The question is, what is the term for a major decree from the apostolic chancery, the most solemn of communications originating in the Vatican? All right. What say you, Rudy? All right. Let me paint you another picture. All right. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. So they say that at every mass... You are surrounded by choirs of angels that you mm-hmm. cannot see because uh-huh. they're adoring our Lord. Right. Okay. Well, picture this. I'm picturing it. When the Vatican okay. goes out and does a major decree from okay. the apostolic chancery, yes. those angels appear. Oh, wow. And you hear trumpets. Okay. It is what's known as a divine proclamation. Oh, wow. It it happens so rarely. <laughs> you never see these angels. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't. Do Peter and Paul also come during that situation? No, nah, they're busy now. They're busy. They're, okay. busy they're doing other things. Now. I mean, yeah, I get it. I get it. The angels are not so. You know, they, they can go and do that. I understand. You know? I get that. All right, Arely, I know your daughter is probably whispering you the answer over here. She's like, I heard, I know this one. We learned this in class. <laughs> we talked about what is the term for the major decree of the apostolic transfer in the most solemn communication originating in the Vatican yesterday. Isn't that right? Uh, she, she, I know she knows this. So, 15 seconds of the clock. She's like, yes, yes, I do, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, Rudy says it's divine proclamation that the Pope just has the angels come down and tell him exactly what they want them to know, and they just tell everybody. Or is it Tito who says it's called an apostolic bull? Uh, 15 seconds of the clock. Arely, what say you? Oh, um, she says we're Rudy. Are you sure? Mm, yeah, are you sure? Uh, you are you, <laughs> I think I heard Tito. I think did, I heard Tito. Did you yeah, say Tito? Tito? Did, you, she said Tito. Did, you say, did you say Tito? Tito? Yeah, she said yes, Tito. Well, there you go. There you go. Very <laughs> good, Adeli. Very good. Praise to God. See, y'all knew that. I I knew that y'all knew that. The the word bull. I mean, we like the angels, but yeah, okay, Tito won. <laughs> <laughs> Well, praise be to God, y'all got it. Don't worry. It, it's, it was very simple. The word bull actually comes from the word meaning like bullio, which was a like a seal, your seal. So it was a, a seal from the Pope. Oh. So a papal seal or an apostolic seal. So it's a very important document. But don't worry. Y'all are now in for two. The, are you ready for question number three? Yes, we're ready. All right. Now this one might be the hardest question we've ever had in the history of Catholic Drive Time. So, good luck. I, I'm sure I'm sure that this, this was taught in elementary school at um, Catholic elementary schools all around the world. So, you might get this one. But the question is, Nazareth is in which province? We're going with Rudy first. Nazareth is in which province? Adrian, Adrian, Adrian. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I suppose so. Something must have. Galilee. You know, the place across the tracks? Mm. That's where it is. Galilee. It's in the province of Galilee is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
All right. It's the bad side of town. All right, Tito. Same question to you. Okay. Uh, Nazareth is in which province? Now, just the name Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Manitoba. Manitoba. There's a Nazareth, Manitoba. Nazareth, Manitoba. Correct. Okay. Okay. I've never heard the word Manitoba before. I'm going to be honest with you. But there's your answer. All right, Areli. The question is Nazareth is in which province? Rudy seems to think that the answer is Galilee, whereas Tito thinks that it's Manitoba. 50 seconds of the clock, Areli. What say you? Um, Janice is saying it's Rudy. Okay. So wise. Where you go? So go, wise. Genesis. Praise be to God. Genesis, right. uh, you are clearly a woman of great intelligence. I, I'm sure she's going to be a new St. Therese of Sioux, a new Teresa of Avila. I, I can feel it. Glory. Isn't that right, Genesis? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Way to go, Genesis. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. She, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to join the Carmel. I'm, I got these answers. I'm in the bag. I'm in the coffee cup of divine providence. But praise be to God. Atita, what could they win this week? This week, they could win an eight and a half uh, sized Holy Family print from Just Love Prints. Go on and visit justloveprints.com. Praise be to God. Just Love Prints, thank you for being our sponsor for today. And Areli, make sure you stay on the phone because we're going to make sure we get your contact information so that way you might win this awesome print that can be hung up. Genesis, I know, is already thinking, she's like, ah, I'm going to put this right here, right above my bed, so I can pray to the Holy Family every night. Is that right, Genesis? Yeah. Yeah! Praise be to God. Well, y'all have a great day at school, and Areli, I hope you have a blessed day, whatever it is that you have going on after dropping the kids off. But God bless you. Thank God you. love you. Stay on the line. We'll make sure to get your contact information, but y'all have a blessed day. Okay, thank you, too. Absolutely. And that'll conclude our show for today. Unless you're going to hop on to our live stream where we talk to you directly, you can hop on to YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, wherever it is that you would like to join us. You are welcome to do so. Just hop on there. Or if not, we'll see you back here at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern across the Guadalupe Radio Network at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the Latin mass oppressions. So we'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio. Forty days and forty nights Thou wast fasting in the wild Forty days and forty nights Tempted and yet undefiled 
shall not we thy sorrow share, and from worldly joys abstain, fasting with unceasing prayer, strong with thee to suffer pain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done, in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. Look upon your family, Lord, that through the chastening effects of bodily discipline, our minds may be radiant in your presence with the strength of our yearning for you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Justice from the heavens, the rain and snow come down, and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. The word of the Lord. From all their distress, God rescues the just. From all their distress, God rescues the just. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us together extol his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. From all their distress, God rescues the just. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy, and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard, and from all his distress he saved him. From all their distress, God rescues the just. The Lord has eyes for the just, and ears for their cry. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. From all their distress, God rescues the just. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them, and from all their distress he rescues them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and those who are crushed in spirit he saves. From all their distress, God rescues the just.
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, In praying, do not babble like the pagans, who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you are to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your transgressions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded in, through this, the, the word today that in this holy season of Lent, our prayer needs to become more intense. Oftentimes, or maybe at certain points in our life, we come to prayer and say, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Jesus tells us how to pray. He reminds us first that we don't have to fill a lot of different words to try to convince him of what we need or that we won't multiply our words, you know, finally God will hear us. Kind of like, we, I guess we, in a sense, we would annoy him to death and finally he would, he would answer us. But rather, he gives us the pattern of our prayer, beginning with saying, Our Father, and then ending of that the Lord would deliver us from evil. In some ways, our, our faith journey is really taking the Our Father and going backwards. Because it first starts with, of course, leaving sin and being delivered from all evil that affects us, that keeps us from coming to God, and then overcoming our, trend, our, our temptations, which is what the, the gospel this past Sunday was all about, then learning to forgive. In fact, Jesus is the end of the gospel. If we don't forgive, our, our transgressions, transgressions will not be forgiven us. That should fill, fill us with a little bit of trepidation. So to first, then, to, to forgive, to forgive the people who have offended us in our life, but then also that we would have that sense of forgiveness, to ask forgiveness for those we, we, have, we have offended. And then to begin to really rely on the Lord for everything in our life, our daily bread, to ask him for all that we need, to know what, that, as Jesus says, our Father knows what we need before, he, before we ask him, but he wants us to ask him in order for us to expand the desire in our heart. Our desire is to end up, you know, for many things that we say that we need, ends up being very constricted and small. But by asking and waiting on the Lord to give, the greater desires that we have in our life come to the fore, and it expands our capacity to be able to receive 
really the greater things that the Lord wants to give us. He wants to give us the kingdom, and we're like, we're satisfied with just having this little piece of candy or whatever it is, you know? Whatever small dainty that we want at the moment, he wants to give us everything. So if we're open and we ask for all that we need and we begin to rely more and more on his providence, then we recognize how much God supplies for us. And of course, the greatest thing that we need is the, our daily super substantial bread, which is the Eucharist. And see, as we begin really to rely more on his providence, then we, we really strive to have the will of God done more perfectly in our life. Ends up that's what really holiness is all about. That his will, as it is done in heaven, would be done on earth here through in, in my life. And then his name is, is then hallowed and his kingdom comes. And we come really to the culmination of our spiritual life is when we truly call God our Father. He is our Father from the moment of our baptism. But to really live that reality and to live it well. To come to the very, the very last words, the very first words of the Our Father. It's to call God really our Father or my Father. St. Catherine of Siena, I believe she, for 10 years, when she'd start to pray the Our Father, she'd come to those first two words and she would go into ecstasy. She couldn't get past them. Those two words, our Father. We sometimes kind of rush through the prayer sometimes so fast that we're not even sure quite what we're saying. But just to be the, the beginning of those, those two words, which is really the, the end in a sense of our journey, because that's where we're going. We're going to be in our Father's house. He has a place waiting for us. The Lord knows that everything we need, he gives us the pattern of our prayer. And those seven petitions fulfill every desire that we could ever ask for in our life. So in this time of Lent, as we're learning to pray more intensely, let's be reminded of the words that Jesus, the pattern of prayer that he himself gives us. We should pray this. He says, this is how you are to pray. But recognizing that in that prayer is really the sum of every prayer that we could possibly utter. Let's ask the Lord to help us in this time to pray well. We should pour forth prayers at all times, dear brothers and sisters, but above all in these days of Lent, we ought to watch more intently with Christ and direct our petitions more fervently to God. Let us pray for the whole Christian people that in this sacred time they may be more abundantly nourished by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Let us pray to the Lord. The whole world that in lasting tranquility and peace our days may truly become the acceptable time of grace and salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. For sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, for the neglectful that in this time of reconciliation they may return to Christ, let us pray to the Lord. For ourselves that God may at last stir up in our hearts aversion for our sins, and a an ever more deeper prayer life uh, for us during this holy season, that we may truly call God our Father and live as his sons and daughters, we pray to the Lord. 
for the intentions of those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, for all those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that, we, that your people may turn to you with all their heart, so that whatever they dare to ask in fitting prayer, they may receive by your mercy, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth that work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine, a work of human hands, who become our spiritual drink. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Receive, O Creator, Almighty God, what we bring from your bountiful goodness, and be pleased to transform this temporal sustenance you have given us, that it may bring us eternal life through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For by your gracious gift each year, your faithful await the sacred Paschal Feast with the joy of minds made pure, so that more eagerly intent on prayer and on the works of charity and participating in the mysteries by which they have been reborn, they may be led to the fullness of grace that you bestow on your sons and daughters. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, plenis uncheli et terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini. Hosanna, 
You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth. With your servant, Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him.
O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. The suffrage of the sign of peace. On news day, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On news day, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On news day, Qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion at this time, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
Father, we thank Thee who has planted Thy holy name within our hearts. Knowledge and faith and life immortal, Jesus, Thy Son, to us imparts. Thou, Lord, didst make all for thy pleasure, didst give man food for all his days, giving in Christ the bread eternal. Thine is the power, be thine the praise. Watch o'er thy church, O Lord, in mercy. Save it from evil, guard it still. Perfected in thy love, united, cleansed and conformed unto thy will. As grain once scattered on the hillsides Was in this broken bread made one So from all lands thy church be gathered Into thy kingdom by thy Son Let us pray. Grant us through these mysteries, Lord, that by moderating earthly desires, we may learn to love the things of heaven through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Bow down for the blessing. May your faithful be strengthened, O God, by your blessing. In grief, may you be their consolation. In tribulation, their power to endure. And in peril, their protection through Christ our Lord. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Ave Regina Celorum. Ave The Prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy 
thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Shields, 